We come to Revelation chapter 13. Last week was Father's Day, so we had a Father's Day teaching. So if you were a dad and last week you went fishing and you came here this week, again, uh, you should have been here last week. But uh, Revelation 13, uh, definitely not my favorite chapter of the Bible to teach on, but that's just the, the blessing of going book by book and chapter by chapter. We come to a very famous portion of Scripture. It's the cornerstone chapter, if you would, when it comes to the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. So there's been tons of movies. How many of you have ever watched a movie that has to do with the Antichrist? Anybody watch a movie that has to do with the Mark of the Beast, right? Lots of movies out there like that. Hollywood makes it really weird, even though it is a strange chapter going through. But we're continuing through that parenthetical statement there in the middle of Revelation. From chapter 12 to 15, we get these parentheses, and we're being given the cast, the crew, the different players, the different people participating here. We saw last week, two weeks ago, in Revelation 12, we saw the woman, which represented Israel. We saw the dragon, who represents Satan. The man-child, who represents Jesus Christ. The angel Michael, right? He's being played as himself, the archangel Michael. And then the offspring of the woman. It represents Gentiles who will come to faith during the Great Tribulation. Here, in Revelation 13, there's two main characters we will be introduced to. We have the beast out of the sea. And the beast out of the earth. The beast out of the sea represents the Antichrist. We see him much throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. He's in 2 Thessalonians. He's also in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, all the way through chapter 11. You get a lot of information there about the Antichrist. And then we have the beast out of the earth, which represents the false prophet. Now, whenever I'm reading the Bible, I'm always asking God, God, how do I apply this to my life? So this is a hard chapter for me to be able to draw application. Okay, Lord, how do you want us to apply this to our lives? And just as we're reading throughout this whole thing, there's just one common theme here. Satan always provides a counterfeit. Satan always provides a counterfeit. And what's the one way we can protect ourselves from counterfeits? You got to know the real thing. You got to know the real deal. And that's what we should be leaving away this place, not thinking, who's the Antichrist? Where is he today? It's my ex-husband. It's my ex-wife, right? It's my mother-in-law. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. We should be leaving this place saying, Lord, Help me to know the real deal because I don't want to get punked by a counterfeit. Lord, please help me to know the real deal. So let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, His feet were like feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So chapter 13 starts off with John standing on the sand of the sea, and then out of the sea rises up a beast. In biblical times, the sea represents something that is evil 
and something that's chaotic. In Isaiah chapter 57 verse 20, it tells us the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. So John sees this beast, again, chapter 12 and chapter 13, John is able to see things through spiritual eyes. So he's seeing the great tribulation through these spiritual eyes, and he sees the Antichrist, right, this beast rising up out of the sea, rising up out of this evil and chaotic place. Much of politics today, much of politics and world powers for millennia, it all has to do with evil people. It all has to do with chaos. If you've been reading with us throughout the Bible, right, the end of 2 Kings, it's just chaos. One king after the other, killing this, killing that, going to these idols. It's just chaos. So one day, out of the chaos and the evil of world empire after world empire after evil politician after evil politician will arise this beast coming out from the midst of all of this. This beast has the idea of something dangerous and something wild, like a venomous animal, if you would. It has seven heads, speaking of the difficulty to kill something, right? Think of a cat with nine lives. And it has ten horns, speaking of the power of this being. Its horns throughout Scripture speaks of great power. You think of a bull weighing a thousand, two thousand pounds, and you want to get nowhere near those two horns. So John, through spiritual eyes, sees this beast as a being that has ten horns. We'll look at later in Daniel how these ten horns represent ten kingdoms and how these ten kingdoms will be a part of the Antichrist. The word Antichrist in our English language, we would think it's something that goes directly against Christ. Right? Think of anti-aircraft missiles and they, their main purpose in life, right? In the life of an anti-aircraft missile, right? Is to destroy aircraft. However, in the Greek, it's not exactly against Christ, but it is the instead of Christ. It is the takes the place of Christ. It is the counterfeit Christ. It is a knockoff of Jesus Christ. And a counterfeit is not something that's equal to the real deal. A counterfeit is a cheap substitute of the real deal. I don't know if you've ever thought that you, you won the lotto and you got a deal on something, right? You got an amazing deal on an expensive pair of shoes or an expensive purse, right? You got a Rolex at a deal you couldn't believe, right? On a man, he's in an alleyway in downtown Miami with a trench coat in the middle of summer. And man, I got a deal on this Rolex, right? And you look at it and it has an F at the beginning, right? It's just a Folex. It's not a Rolex, right? Is it equal to a Rolex? Is it similar? Is it made in the same place? Not at all. It is a cheap substitute. For me, I'm always reminded of, uh, it used to be in Winn-Dixie. Instead of having Dr. Pepper, they had Dr. Thunder, right? And similar taste, but it was not the real deal. And even this, it's something similar, right? In a blind taste test, most of us probably couldn't taste the difference. But I'll always be reminded of my days as being a, a youth pastor and going over Revelation 13 in our uh, training right to bring real life application to this we had brownies if you know those little brownie packs right it's a white 
Ziploc bag, if you would, and you break it open, you get four little mini brownies in there. You're always hungry. You always want more. You need four of the four packs uh, to be full on the brownies. But you would grab those, and then how many of you drink espresso here, right? Anybody here drink espresso? If you ever make an espresso, when you're done, maybe you have the piece of two-by-four, and you knock it out, and you get this little circle that's called an espresso puck. That's what you call that, right? Now, if you get that dried espresso puck, and you put it next to the brownie, they kind of look similar. <laughs> but now if you get whipped cream and you put a dollop on top of the brownie and a dollop on top of the espresso puck, they look like twins, right? So with the youth, we would have them just grab whichever they thought was the real deal and take a bite as soon as they could, right? And you would quickly realize if the youth made a decision on the real deal or if they were given the cheap counterfeit. And that's what we have to be careful of because this isn't just something for us to be concerned about during the great tribulation. Because if we're here and we're saved, we're not going to even be here for this. But let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. And in 1 John chapter 4, we see that the truth and the spirit of the Antichrist has been alive and around since at least the days of John here in 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we can even start off in chapter 3 verse 24. 1 John 3 verse 24, it says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So this spirit of a cheap substitute, it's already existed for at least 2,000 years. And now we need to be aware of this. And it's not for us to be consumed with what's the spirit of the Antichrist. We should be consumed with the real deal. We should know more and more about the person of Jesus Christ, our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, this spirit of offering a counterfeit has always been in this world and continues to grow. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives this same type of warning to the church of Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 13, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. 
Again, family, there are many cheap substitutes to the true Messiah. There are many cheap substitutes to true salvation. There are many cheap substitutes for true peace and true joy and true life. These things can only come from a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything and everything else is simply a cheap substitute. So how do we defend ourselves against this counterfeit? You guys already answered. It's by knowing the real deal. And that's what we have to grow in. Not growing in our knowledge of the Antichrist. Not necessarily memorizing Revelation 13 and Daniel 7 through 11. But it's knowing Jesus Christ in a deeper and deeper and deeper way. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. We see here how important it was to the Apostle Paul to know the real deal. It was his life's mission. It was his life's goal. He was willing to offer up and sacrifice everything else for the opportunity to know the real deal. There in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, Paul says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Friend, do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? That word to know, it means to become acquainted with. To have personal knowledge of something. Having seen something. Having experienced it. Having met Jesus. Do you know him? Do you have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, you will fall for every cheap substitute out there. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, the Apostle John tells us, Now by this we know that we know him, right? How can we know that we know him? John answers us. He says, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. So how can we know that we know him? We are obedient to God's commands. We're obedient to the word of God. And the less we are obedient to the word of God, the more what's being revealed to us is we do not know the real deal. And if we don't know the real deal, you're going to fall for the counterfeit over and over and over again. The word know here in 1 John chapter 2, it speaks of understanding something. To perceive something. To have knowledge of something. Do you understand Jesus Christ? Will we fully understand him? Never. For all of eternity we'll be knowing more and more about him. But do we have a basic understanding of him? To perceive, to have knowledge of, to be thoroughly familiar with the character and propensities of Jesus Christ. Are you familiar with his character? Do you know what makes him angry? Do you know what makes him happy? Do you know what he hates? Do you know what he loves? 
The more we know him, the more it will protect us from the fake counterfeits out there. Back to Revelation chapter 13. John writes down what his eyes see through the spiritual realm of this beast rising up out of the sea. He says he has seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. You can write down Daniel chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, and here Daniel, he says, Another shall rise after them, and he shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. This is the little horn that rises up out of the ten horns. And then in verse 25, he says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and laws. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a times and half a time. So again, we've seen this throughout the book of Revelation that the Antichrist is going to be given Three and a half years to rule and reign. Less than a president's term, right? He's going to be given to rule and reign over the world. But it says that he's going to speak with pompous words against the Most High. Revelation said that he's going to have on his heads a blasphemous name. Now when we think of blasphemy, oftentimes we think of someone cursing God. Cursing God himself. But blasphemy, it's just pride. It's just pride. We know that Satan, he said, I will rise as God, higher than God. And that was blasphemy. And throughout all of the different false religions in our world, it's always mankind trying to rise up to a certain place and a certain level. Right? You get to a certain point, you work hard enough and you'll hit nirvana. You work hard enough and you'll get all the virgins in the afterlife. You work hard enough and you'll get X, Y, or Z. Our faith Our relationship is the only place where instead of us rising up, God sends his only son down to save us and to do what we could never do. And then he's the one that rises and ascends. And then what's the way for us to grow? What's the way for us to ascend to heaven? It's to humble ourselves. Our way up as Christians is to go down. It's to humble ourselves. First and foremost, in our faith and our relationship with Jesus Christ, Father, I have sinned. I have done wrong. I need help. I can't do this alone. I need you, Jesus. And then for the rest of our life, it's putting on the form of a servant. It's humbling ourselves and serving other people. It's humbling ourselves and being obedient to God's word. Again, our faith, our religion is the only one where we're trying to go down, 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 right? And then sooner or later, as Christ went down, then he rose up. Then we, as we go down, we will rise up one day with him. But he's going to speak with pompous words and a blasphemous name. This Antichrist, he has lots of nicknames in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, Daniel calls him the little horn. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 23, he's known as the king of fierce countenance. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul gives him three nicknames here. He's the son of perdition, he's the man of sin, and he is the lawless one. We go now to verse 2, and he says, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. So we got a leopard with, with bear paws, right? His mouth is like the mouth of a lion. And now the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. 
Again, this is John seeing this through spiritual eyes. There's not going to be some freakish creature coming up out and ruling and reigning over the whole world. Back in Daniel, I wish we had time to go through all this, but the leopard represents the Greek empire, the bear represents the Medo-Persian empire, and the lion represents the Babylonian empire. And what it's speaking to us of is that this Antichrist will arise either from a mishmash of all these empires coming together, or another way to look at it is as all of the world's empires have come and gone, come and gone, come and gone, come and gone. At the end, there'll be 10 kingdoms, and out of these 10 kingdoms is where the Antichrist will one day come, and Satan himself is going to give him his power, his throne, and his great authority. We know one of the ways that Satan tempted Jesus was offering him his power, his throne, and his authority over all the kingdoms of the world. He said, hey, just worship me, and everything you see will be yours, power and authority over all the kingdoms of the world. This reveals to us that one day a man will take this deal, and either he's going to be filled with a demon, or perhaps he's going to be filled with Satan himself, as Judas was when he betrayed Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. All we know scripturally is that he has a deadly wound, And it's healed, and all the world will marvel, and this will lead the world to follow the Antichrist all the more. Again, in the movies, in our imagination, right? A lot of people, they think that there's going to be an assassination attempt, and our imagination can run wild. Got to be careful with that. Good to just stay in Scripture, to read what Scripture says, and go off of that. If not, then you got people that think that JFK was the Antichrist and would rise up again one day, right? I think Ronald Reagan, he survived another assassination attempt. Now, everybody that survives an assassination attempt, they're the Antichrist, right? No, that's not the way we should go. With. We need to go at it in a biblical manner. Verse 4, after he survives this deadly wound, it tells us that they worshipped the dragon. So they end up worshipping Satan, who gave this authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who, will, who is able to make war with him? So not only do they worship the Antichrist, but they end up worshiping Satan himself. Because all the power of the Antichrist flows and stems from Satan. So him being able to survive that, that wound, it leads the world to worship him all the more. Verse 5 and 6, it says, He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Again, I love seeing this in Revelation. We look at this and say, man, the world is falling apart. Look at all this chaos. Look at all this insanity. No, it's all in God's perfect plan. God says, hey, you got 42 months exactly, right? Not a day more, not a second more, not a month more. God is in control all of this. And this Antichrist, he's going to open his mouth. He's going to blaspheme God himself, God's name. He's going to blaspheme his tabernacle, his temple, and those who dwell in heaven. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36 through 37, Daniel tells us that he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. 
That one day he's going to speak blasphemies against the God of gods and he's going to prosper till the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. So he's given power. He's given the ability to do these things. He's going to talk about bad about God, bad about his tabernacle, those who dwell in heaven. Perhaps he's giving the reason why so many Christians have disappeared during the rapture and he's blaspheming, speaking evil about it. Verse 7, it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. We read this. Should we be freaking out? Right? Who are the saints? That's us, right? However, this is another great picture and and just showing us how God's word teaches a pre-tribulation rapture. You see in Matthew 16 verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus says, hey, the, the gates of hell, they will not prevail against the church. And here in Revelation 13 verse 7, it's saying that power has been given to the Antichrist to over." Come the saints. That's why we believe these saints are the saints of the great tribulation. It's not the bride of Christ. It's not the church. The church age is done. We read that in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. But here's a new age of new believers during the great tribulation. And now the Antichrist has been granted. He's been given the power and the ability. He cannot have this power and ability unless it was given to him by God himself to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Again, it's important for us to know within the last hundred years, more Christians have been put to death than all of history combined. I don't know if you realize that. Let me say that again. Within the last hundred years, more Christians have been martyred and put to death for their faith than all of the other years of life, all the centuries combined. We think of it as something so foreign to us. Something that would never happen here. Something that can't happen here. And yet every day we see a greater hatred towards believers. A greater hatred towards the Bible. A greater hatred towards God himself. Again, what a miracle this week. Roe versus Wade, right? Being overturned. And yet right away the hatred goes towards Christians, goes towards God, goes against the Bible. And that's just going to continue to grow. We have to be prepared for that. We have to be ready for that. Again, are you ready for that? Are you raising your kids to be ready for that? Do you ever sit back and look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and think, what in the world did these parents instill in these young men? That their families would be wiped out, they would be castrated, they would be pulled into Babylon, and yet they would not turn away from the Lord their God. What did their parents instill in them? We have to be ready for this. Again, I believe God's word teaches a pre-tribulation rapture, but that does not mean that we will not have an ounce of tribulation. God, Jesus promises us, you will go through tribulation, right? But if you're not, I will overcome the world. There are people being murdered every day just because they worship and love Jesus. Just because they own a Bible, they're thrown into prison. We see this hatred growing. Should we be afraid? Should we be scared? No. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Let's turn there. Doing okay on time. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Should we be afraid? Right? That question comes up a lot. 
especially with parents of young kids. I have three kids under nine years old. Should I be afraid of what's going on about raising them in the world today? Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus tells us, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Again, we are not to fear. Jesus says that the Father's will knows every time a little bird dies. Right? You see dead birds all the time. I don't know if you freak out, if you hold a funeral service, right? You have a burial and interment every time you see a dead bird on the ground. And God says, hey, I know it's within my will every time this happens. How much more do I care about you? Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying don't give greater fear, greater reverence, greater respect to mankind that can kill our body, but rather give greater fear, greater respect, and greater reverence to God who can judge our body and our soul for all of eternity. If you're reading along with us within the book of Acts, we've seen it twice this past week. How the disciples, they tell the leaders, the governing officials, the people that have beaten them, the people that have whipped them, the people that have thrown them into prison. And they say, hey, it's between you and God. But we can't help but say and preach and have the boldness to tell of the things we've seen and heard. And that's the mindset we should have. They, if they hurt us, if they harm us, man, it's greater badges that we can take into heaven glorifying Jesus after all he's done for us. Zechariah the prophet, he prophesies about this evil time during the great tribulation when the Antichrist is going to be given power to make war with these saints and to overcome them. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, he says, It shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Again, the Holocaust was a terrible tragedy. But yet for the Jewish people, there are worst days ahead. Here it says, two-thirds of the Jewish people will be cut off and die during the Great Tribulation. In Daniel 7.25, we already read that, how the Antichrist is going to persecute the saints of the Most High. That's why the Great Tribulation is also referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. That's why in Matthew 24, verse 21 and 22, Jesus warns, he says that there will never be a day since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor shall ever be like these days of the Great Tribulation. Jesus goes on to say, unless those days were shortened, unless he cut it and kept it only to these seven years, no flesh would survive. So again, this, this day ahead is a terrible day. You don't want to be around for this. 
Again, the best for us, don't worry about the Antichrist. Just be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we'll get raptured out of here. That's plan A. You don't want to be here for this. right? We'll look at a little bit more why we don't want to be here for this. Verse 8. It says, all who dwell on earth will worship him. They're going to worship this Antichrist. And if you're worshiping the Antichrist, it says, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. Now some people ask, okay, what happened since the foundation of the world? Is it the Lamb being slain or is it these names written in the book of life? And the answer is yes to both of them, right? Yes to both of them. In Revelation 17 verse 8, it tells us whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, it tells us that the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, he was indeed foreordained before the foundation of the world. How this plan of salvation This plan to save you, this plan to save me, this plan for Jesus to die for the sins of the whole world has been planned since before the foundations of the world. One last scripture on this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse uh, verse 3 through 5. It tells us, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Again, this should bring us hope and relaxation. This should bring us peace that since the foundations of the world, your name's been written, my name's been written there in the Lamb's book of life. Now just for us to walk in that holiness. We could turn quickly to Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, there are 70 disciples of Jesus, and they're given great power. And they're excited about this power. They're excited about what they're doing for the Lord. And this happens to lots of us, right? We start serving the Lord. We're used by God, and we get excited about it. Man, look at what happened with these kids. They got saved. Look at this, man. I was serving in the cafe. I was there in the parking lot. And look at all that the Lord is doing. And yet Jesus tries to give them the right perspective on life. Here in Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 20, it tells us, Then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Again, how often do we rejoice in this? Have you rejoiced in this today? Have you been excited about this today? Lord, my name is written in heaven. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Have we been excited about that today? And don't so many churches get this portion of scripture all wrong, all turned upside down. It's not churches rejoicing that our name's written in heaven, but instead they're having serpent ministry, right? They're having scorpion services instead, right? It's all backwards. We should be rejoicing not in what God does in us and through us, but we should be rejoicing even more that, man, God has written my name in heaven. 
I have a home there. I have a mansion set aside. Jesus, he's still working on it. And I'm going to be there for the rest of eternity. Back to Revelation 13, verse 9 and 10. Some more interesting scriptures here. A little bit more about this pre-tribulation rapture. In Revelation 13, verse 9 and 10, it says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. In verse 9, we, we see this saying, and it's not the first time we've seen it. We saw it oftentimes at the end of each letter written to a church in chapter 2 and in chapter 3. However, it would read, if anyone has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. However, for whatever reason, we don't find that here in verse 9. Again, many scholars believe that's a, a, another point to the church not being here during the Great Tribulation. The church is already gone. We're in heaven. We're rejoicing in heaven. But now there's a warning to all the people still here during the Great Tribulation. And to this, we can apply to our lives today. We can draw application to our lives about verse 10 today. The patience and the faith of the saints. We all need to grow in patience and we need to grow in faith. Does anyone like to grow in patience? Someone said, yes, I'll pray for them. You're super spiritual, right? You're super <laughs> Growing in patience is difficult. Why? Because when you want to grow in patience, what's tested? Your patience. That's exactly what's tested, right? In many marriages, what leads to a big fight? One person's ready and the other person's waiting, right? And the patience starts. How long are they going to take, right? We got to go. Everybody's waiting for it. I want to be the last one at the party, right? And our patience needs to grow. Parents with kids, teachers with students, us with the world around us. We need to grow in patience and in faith. Patience on waiting upon the Lord and faith trusting in God. Romans chapter 12 verse 19, it tells us, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here in verse 10, God says, hey, don't worry, I will execute revenge for every single evil person that has led people into captivity. Every single evil person that has killed or murdered someone else with the sword, they will be killed. They will be brought into captivity. James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, it tells us, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth? Waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We have to be patient and we have to establish our hearts. We have to be ready and growing in the knowledge of the real deal. Growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now we go to verse 11. We see the beast from the earth, this false prophet. It says, then I saw another beast, again, same word for beast there, coming up out of the earth now instead of the sea. And he had two horns like a lamb. And however, he spoke like a dragon. Who's the dragon? It's Satan, right? That's the answer key from chapter 12. The dragon is Satan. So here we have this being, this person. He looks like a lamb. But yet he speaks like Satan himself. I don't know if you've ever seen a little baby goat, right? They look super cute. They have their two little horns. But have you ever hear, heard them yell? 
right? They just start yelling and you think, is that thing demonic, right? Is there actually something in there? And it's not necessarily it's going to be a little lamb or a little goat that pops up out of the earth. But it's revealing to us that we need discernment. Because this false prophet, he's going to look like a lamb. He's going to look harmless. He's going to win every popularity contest. He might be on the cover of GQ, right? Sexiest man alive in 20 whatever, right? However, he's going to speak like Satan himself. And that's why we need to be careful. That's why we need to know the word of God so that we can discern what people are telling us. We need to be able to discern. Don't just judge people how they look, how kind they are, how sweet they are. We need to discern what they are telling us. Again, we already read earlier in 2 Corinthians 11 how Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Right? We have that picture of Looney Tunes in our mind, the little angel and a little devil on our shoulder, right? doesn't work that way. It's one angel and another weird-looking angel, right? That's the way it is. We need to be filled with God's word and God's spirit so that we can discern. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We need to test the spirits. You shouldn't take my word for it. You should be studying your word, studying your Bible, being Bereans of the Bible. That should go across the board for everything and everyone in our lives. We need to be able to discern and know God's word. It tells us of this beast, of this false prophet in verse 12, that he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So he's his prophet, he's his great PR person, he's creating more and more of a, a calling for people to worship him, especially after this wound has been healed. Verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Does that sound familiar to us? Right? The, the two witnesses, we know that they were given power to rain fire down from heaven and that they're defense against people that would come to attack him is to breathe fire upon them. Verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. Again, how do we apply this? We need to be careful to not attribute signs and wonders to God himself. That's not how we should be looking at all oh, this has to be of God because of these signs and these wonders. We need to have discernment and we need to look at the message. Look at the message that's being delivered and look at the message that's being portrayed. If you remember in the book of Exodus, each time Moses would do a miracle on behalf of God, Pharaoh's magicians, they would have their own little copycat, right? Pharaoh, he throws down the serpent. Pharaoh's, uh, Moses throws down the serpent, the rod, it turns into a serpent. Then his magicians, they throw down serpents, except Moses' rod, serpent, eats the other two. Moses turns all the water into blood. How do the magicians help? They create more blood, right? Moses, he has frogs pouring out all over the place. How do the magicians help? They create more frogs, right? They're able to copycat, but they're not really able to help the situation. 
We see here this false prophet. He's a copycat of the two great witnesses of the Lord during these last days, and many people will be deceived. Again, don't look for signs and wonders. Look for just the simplicity of God's Word and of Scripture. This is also a great warning to us. Sometimes we think every time we have a spiritual experience, it has to be of the Lord. And that's not the case. You go and you have a seance and you're talking with your sweet abuelita and it was so sweet, so amazing. First and foremost, you weren't talking with your grandma. You were talking with a demon, right? Every spiritual experience does not mean that it is from the Lord. We have to be careful just searching for spiritual experiences. That will get you into a load of trouble. Be careful with that. Search the word, the simplicity of the word of God. We saw at the end of verse 14, he tells those who dwell on earth to make this image of the beast who is wounded by the sword. So we have the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the earth, and now we have this image to the beast. Some of you know Sandy Adams, how corny he is. He says, I call these three guys the beastie boys, right? So we have the the beast out of the sea, the beast out of the earth, and now this image of the beast. Verse 15, he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So we don't know what in the world this is. Let's be honest, right? We don't know if this is some weird hologram, some type of AI, some type of virtual reality. However, we know that if he's able to counterfeit signs and wonders, fire from heaven, If he's able to have the same power that healed the Antichrist from his mortal wound, this is going to be some crazy type of idol. That now if you're not worshiping this idol, you will be put to death. Again, so important to have a right and real relationship with Jesus Christ today and now while it's simple and while it's easy. There are people that moan and groan about having a relationship with Jesus. It's so hard. It's so difficult. I have to give up this sin, right? I have to give up this death and this poison and this cancer. I have to give this up to serve Jesus. How hard this is, right? Woe is me. Be careful because it's only going to get much worse, much worse. If you don't worship this idol, you're put to death right away. Verse 16 and 17, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So first this idol is erected. If you don't worship it, you're put to death. And now this same false prophet creates a new economy in the world. And this new economy requires that you have this mark of the beast in order to buy or sell. Now, this may seem something foreign or something crazy, but this happens every day, right? There used to be businesses that said, we do not accept American Express. What does that mean? If you want to participate in this small economy of this small business, you have to play by their rules. Some places are cash only, right? There's a hot dog stand in Miami that says, if you want a free refill, you have to say, I love Larry Bird, right? What does that mean? If you want to participate in that economy, you have to play by their rules. And now this false prophet is going to create these rules that the only way you can buy or sell is if you bear the mark or the name of the beast and the number of his name. At BJ's and Costco, to participate in their economy, what do you need? 
got to take a picture. You got to give all your information, your social, right? all this stuff in order to participate in their economy. We have to be careful. So many people take this out of context, and now everything is a mark of the beast. And they've been saying that for the last hundred years. Every part of technology that grows, it's the mark of the beast, right? I remember uh, my grandma. I've been missing her this past couple of weeks. But when she first started using credit cards, she said, Esto es seis, 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 right? <laughs> I could just use this piece of plastic, and I just charge it, and it goes directly to my account. This is, yeah, this is the mark of the beast, right? And every time technology grows, we say it over and over and over again. Buying things on the Internet, right? Apple Watch, I just beep, and it goes, hey, it's on my left hand. It's not on my right hand, right? Relax. And people, they buy into this. Sadly, within the last three years, there are people saying that if you got the vaccine, you took the mark of the beast. Don't let anyone lie to you with that garbage. There's been vaccine passports for decades. If you want to get into certain areas in Africa, you need a certain passport to show that you have those specific vaccines. Do I agree with that or not? That's besides the case. However, these things are not necessarily the mark of the beast. We need to take the scripture as scripture and focus on what we do know. Grow in knowing more about Jesus Christ. Don't grow in an obsession of what's the mark of the beast. We're not sure what it is. However, we do know no one's going to get tricked into the mark of the beast. Just like I don't think any of us would believe anyone can get tricked into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Unless you think someone can get tricked into being saved or someone can get bamboozled into salvation, there's no room for us to think that someone can get tricked or bamboozled into taking the mark of the beast by accident or by mistake. This is going to be someone pledging their allegiance or their worship to the Antichrist. And it's only when you pledge this allegiance, only when you pledge this worship to the Antichrist, that you will be able to participate in this economy. So is technology leading up to it? Of course. Is technology right now the mark of the beast? Not at all. We're not there yet. We're still here. The church is still here. We don't have to worry about this just yet. If all the church is gone, then you better start worrying about this then. Verse 18, it tells us, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. We continue now. We're just going to read verse 1 of chapter 14. John says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. Two things to gather from this. One last thing is, once again, Satan is providing a cheap counterfeit. We've already read about the 144,000 and how they have the seal of God on their foreheads. We as believers, we have a seal. And that seal is the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the seal of the Holy Spirit, it protects us from being able to be filled with a demon. It protects us from lots of the garbage in the world today. It protects us and gives us the power and ability to have our minds renewed by the washing of the Word of God. We have this seal. And Satan, he's only going to provide a cheap counterfeit. Finally, verse 18, it tells us that his number is 666. People still do this today. In the Greek alphabet, you can take a number to each letter in the alphabet. For Satan, right, for the Antichrist, it's 666. For Jesus, it's seven, for Jesus, it's 888. For God, it's 777, the number of perfection. 
What does this reveal to us? It's the number of man. Man in all his glory can only get to six. But God, Jesus, man, seven, absolute perfection. Eight is the number of new beginnings. So what do we do with all this, right? How do we apply all of this? Worship team, you can come up. The key takeaways from this morning, from this afternoon, just three questions. Do you know the real deal? Do you know the real deal? Do you have that real and right relationship with Jesus Christ and you're knowing more about him each day? You're knowing more about him each week. How do we know that we know him? John told us by being obedient to his word. Are you experiencing Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have a friendship with Jesus? Because if you don't know the real deal, you're going to fall for every cheap counterfeit out there. Second question, do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Maybe you were here and you didn't even know there was such a thing as a Lamb's book of life, right? I encourage you, come up front and pray with one of the pastors. You want to be able to leave this place knowing, hey, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The 70 disciples there of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in that. Be excited about that. We should have the power to know that we know that we're saved. You should know that. It's one thing to enter into a wedding by accident, right? And you're at the reception, you don't see your name anywhere. Maybe you could sneak a chair in and you share a plate with someone, right? Don't do that to any marriage or any wedding here at church, but, right, you might be able to get by. In heaven, there's no getting by. There's no pulling a random chair. There's no grabbing yourself another plate at the Lamb's marriage feast. It's if your name's written in, you're in. You're in heaven. If your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, there's only one other place you can go. It's hell for all of eternity. But God, that's not what he wants for you. Lastly, do you have the seal of the Lord? Do you have that seal of the Holy Spirit? Guarding your heart, guarding your mind, guarding your spirit. If you're saved, you've been given this seal to protect us. To protect our minds and to protect our spirits. So man, ask yourself those three questions. Do I know the real deal? Is my name written in the Lamb's book of life? And do I have the seal of the Holy Spirit? And if you don't know, if you don't have the answer to any of those questions, I encourage you to come up front and pray and speak with one of the pastors. But hey, let's all stand. We'll pray and then we'll close in worship. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing and the privilege that it is to serve the God that knows the end from the beginning, Lord. We thank you that you include us in this journey, Lord. You include us, Lord, in this relationship with you, in this great battle of good versus evil, Lord. However, Father, I pray that each of us would know your Son. Each of us would have that real and right relationship with you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for all of our other obsessions, God with the things of this world that will fade away, that will one day burn, that are pointless and worthless. Lord, help us to be able to be like Paul, being able to count everything else as waste. If we can grow in knowing you more, if we could grow in having this experience with you and having this relationship with you, Lord, may that be our chief desire our chief obsession is just to know you more and more in this life. And again, God, if anyone here does not know you, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be opening their eyes, that you, Holy Spirit, would be softening their hearts, open their mind, give them a mind of understanding of the questions that are being presented to them this morning, Lord.
And for any, Lord, any kid, any adult, any young adult here, Lord, that perhaps they've been churched for years, for decades, God, and Lord, they don't know the real deal, help them to humble themselves and come before you even this afternoon, God. So Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.